Educational leadership is an ever-evolving opportunity to make a real and lasting difference in the lives of students, parents, and the community. And now, here's your host, Dr. Rob Jackson. Hi friends, welcome to the Ed Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Jackson, and I want to thank you for spending time with me today. We're returning from an unexpected break on the podcast as the COVID-19 pandemic has consumed the work of Ed leaders everywhere, including me. Thanks to the hard work of the men and women I am blessed to serve with, students in our district are continuing to achieve at high levels academically, artistically, and athletically by focusing on children instead of focusing on the challenges. Part of that focus on children is recognizing and meeting the social, emotional, and mental health needs of our students and staff, led by the work of our student support staff. Speaking of student support staff, let's get to it. Today's guest serves as a school psychologist in the Carteret County Public School System. A 16-year veteran school psychologist, she earned her Master of Arts degree in school psychology and her bachelor's degree in psychology from Appalachian State University. She says that her biggest assets and the best psychology training she's ever received are her three sons, an eighth grader, a sixth grader, and a first grader, and her husband, a director of admissions at a local rehabilitation center. Please help me welcome today's guest, Molly Mays. I am so excited and absolutely delighted to spend time today with one of my heroes, Molly Mays, thank you for what you do every single day, and welcome to the Ed Leader Podcast. Thank you so much for having me today. This is exciting. The thing that I always enjoy about the conversations I get to have is learning from others who are pouring themselves into their life's work, who really give everything they have because they know that our children are worthy of everything we give. You have a really cool role in the school system. Share with our listeners, what is it that you do on a daily basis? Well, as a school psychologist, I am a member of many school teams. Um, I cover three schools right now, and really school psychologists just support students' ability to learn and teachers' ability to teach, Um, and we bring to the table expertise in mental health and learning and behavior And really, our goal is just to create a safe and supportive learning environment for students. I'm so grateful that in our school system, we have school psychologists. I know that in particularly rural school systems, smaller school systems, they may not have school psychologists. And so I don't know that we all fully understand as educators, as educational leaders, as ed leaders, the role of a school psychologist. And so let's kind of back way up and and start with what was it that drew you to the field? What was it that made you decide, I really want to be a school psychologist? Well, to be honest, I was at Appalachian State University and I had planned on going into elementary education. My entire life, I thought I wanted to be a teacher. And that was the plan, went to Appalachian and I was sitting in classes for that education degree on child development, on educational psychology, and I was fascinated by it. And one of my professors had previously been a school psychologist in Charlotte Mecklenburg schools. And I adored her and she just encouraged me kind of into this field. 
and I've never looked back. I love that. And, you know, I'm not going to hold it against you that you are a graduate of Appalachian State. The Mountaineers are rivals of my alma mater, Western Carolina. And so as a cow to mount, I have have respect for you, but I won't hold it against you that you are an ASU graduate. Right. Yeah. I went to App State for undergrad and I loved it so much that I stayed for three more years for a master's program and an internship. So I was there for a long time. I love that. It's such a beautiful area of our state there in the mountains. So Molly, you were sitting in class, the educational psychology class that we take, particularly elementary educators. I certainly was in that class as well and enjoyed it and felt this fascination. When you first started to talk to your professor who had been a school psychologist, how did she describe the work to you of what a school psychologist might do that you went, oh, I really want to do that? She told us really practical examples about how All students really will face problems from time to time with learning, with social relationships, even just managing emotions, um, anxiety, isolation. And so she told us about how school psychologists really can help families and schools understand what those issues might be and how those issues affect learning um, and behavior in the classroom. So really, that was kind of the first taste of what a school psychologist would look like um, for me. And I, I just think that that's such an important role. We know that mentally healthy children are better learners and more successful in life. There's no question. And, you know, we are as a as a society, as a, as a profession, really beginning to understand that at a much deeper level than we ever have. And so it's exciting that we do have uh, student support teams and psychologists are, are part of, uh, of those teams. I, I do wonder, though, if we really, educators in general, superintendents, principals, others, um, really understand the difference between, say, a psychologist and a counselor. Kind of share with us, if you wouldn't mind, uh, what is it that the psychologist does that perhaps the counselor doesn't do or how counselors and psychologists work together. And of course, school social workers are also a part of that school support team. And so kind of take us to school a little bit and teach us about school psychologists and and the work of a school psychologist. Probably the main difference in the school counselor and the school psychologist role is that school psychologists have real specialized training in things like data collection and assessment um, and academic and behavioral interventions. So that's a large piece of our background and our training, Um, whereas a counselor may have more specialized training in direct services, like individual and group counseling. School psychologists have that as well. Um, But a large role for us is in collecting data to be able to evaluate students' individual needs. And this often looks at the information that we get from our data and how it impacts the student's learning and what that student looks like in the classroom. Molly, it seems to me that sometimes we become guilty of uh, using psychologists exclusively for testing, particularly around exceptional children's services. Share with me if, if you had the opportunity to really define the role of school psychologists, how, how would you spend your time in terms of really wanting to get the most bang for our buck for our children with the use of a school psychologist, how would your time be spent? 
I think all psychologists would love to see an expansion of our role to provide more direct services for students. I laugh with my colleagues that there are some days when I spend a lot more time with adults than I do with children. And I think we would we would like more time with kids face to face with children, um, providing those direct interventions, um, behavioral strategies, spending more time in the classroom. It's a role where you can often get bogged down in the assessment piece, looking at that data, writing reports, sitting in meetings, completing paperwork. And, you know, that's that is part of the job and it's an important part because it collects a lot of information for a school and for a family to be able to learn about their student. Um, But just broadening the access to mental health supports beyond special education is huge. And school psychologists have great training to be able to do that, be a part of that. And many students who need support do not necessarily have a disability. You know, that's the piece that we sometimes miss out on is that we don't recognize how much really almost every single student, if not every single student, really needs support from time to time. And Molly, I was just, as you were sharing, I was thinking about our ability to have psychologists working more directly with students and being in classrooms, et cetera. It takes more psychologists. Um, In our state of North Carolina, the General Assembly has just allocated some additional funding for more school psychologists in all of our school districts. And of course, what I'm hearing from other superintendents is there are really not enough school psychologists uh, to meet the needs. And so I wonder if there was a young person who was considering a career in school psychology, uh, what would you say to them in terms of getting them to encourage them to consider going into school psychology? It's a wonderful field with so much variety. In any given day, I can work with children ages two to 18. You have so much opportunities to collaborate with other professionals. I work really closely with social workers, nurses, school counselors, teachers, principals. You just have a really unique role as a psychologist, as an advocate. Um, We also build awesome relationships with our families because of our unique role. We aren't necessarily assigning grades like teachers, and we're not imposing disciplinary actions like administrators might. So parents really form a a bond of trust with us to advocate for their child from a different perspective. There's clearly a growing and unmet need for mental health services for children. Um, And you mentioned that right now, North Carolina public schools, they're recommending one psychologist to every 500 students. Most districts aren't even close to that. Absolutely. There's there's no question. And, you know, I, I know of several districts that aren't even in the ballpark of, of one school psychologist for every 500 students. Molly, one of the things that occurs to me is that we are more aware today of the social, emotional, mental health needs of our students than we ever have been. And I think that's a good thing. Um, I hate that all the things that it's taken for us to become aware of that But I wonder from your perspective in the schools, working with students, working with uh, teachers and educators and families, what what are you seeing? Are you seeing uh, needs exponentially growing or is that just something we think we're, we're experiencing? Well, first, let me say that what I do see is a lot of wonderful things happening in my schools. In the past two years, I have seen 
Administrators become absolute cheerleaders for their staff. Um, and I also see teachers and students who really want nothing more than to be actively engaged in the learning process in a classroom. And that is really exciting. On the flip side, I do see a real just growing and unmet need for mental health services. Um, the current statistics suggest that one in five youth will experience some kind of mental health problem during their school years. Um, and NASP, which is our National Association for School Psychologists, um, they suggest that 60% of youth do not even receive treatment. And if a student does receive treatment, two thirds of the students that get help, they receive that help in school. So to me, that's why we are seeing it because we're providing those resources and we're seeing more of it because we're doing crisis prevention and intervention programs that identify these kids. School, to me, is an ideal place to provide mental health and behavioral health services. Um, we have these prevention programs and intervention programs to look at behaviors and how that's impacting academics. And we have the best position to be able to communicate regularly back and forth between school and home. Um, so I feel like school is one of the first places that really identifies that there may be an issue with a student. And it's our job and it's our responsibility to then share that with the family so that they can, can also just provide a wraparound care for the child. I tell you, Molly, I absolutely agree with you. And that really speaks to one of the greatest worries I had and have during the pandemic, uh, particularly when we spent a long time away from school, when we were 100% virtual learning, I really worried about our children and the needs that they have not being met because they weren't able to be around their teacher or their guidance counselors or our school psychologist or all the many people who love and support them um, through the day. It occurs to me that, you know, sometimes a child could have a, a need, an unmet need that perhaps the parent isn't aware of. Sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. And if our children are always around us, we may not recognize that there's a need there and fresh eyes can see that. And so I, I just, that was a, a great worry that, that I had and have when we have to move to virtual learning that we're taking children away from that support network. I think we were quick to figure out we needed to feed children, which is very important and deliver right. food to them. Uh, but the piece I, I worried about us missing was that awareness and identification or or at least the awareness that we needed to explore to see if there was an, an unmet need. As we came back to school and, and face to face, did you did you face kind of a, a, a deluge of, of lots of students who had needs that hadn't been met during the pandemic and we were playing catch up or was it typical or what, what did you experience as we came back to school? I do think that students really struggled coming back into a structure and routine. And that has been, we've had some growing pains there. I think students have come back and, and tested the limits of just some of the behavioral expectations that we've always had in place. Um, so we have had to monitor that and manage that. But anxiety has played another part in students coming back. They have been away from that social connectedness piece um, that they need to be mentally healthy. And so, um, you know, only seeing kids, um, their friends, their teachers through digital avenues has, 
has not been fulfilling for them. And so that transition back to school really prompted some anxiety in students and how how is that going to look being back in in my school and everyone having masks on and you know I can only see my teacher's eyes. I mean that's just that's bizarre for a child to have to encounter um and then just that inconsistency and and schedules and structures and routines. It's just, I think it has played a big part of kids in the last two years and their emotional stability. Um, We are so fortunate though in Carteret County to have really amazing early identification plans and programs and prevention programs. Um, Next month at my middle school and my high school that I work at, we will be doing SOS, which is signs of suicide. And that's a prevention program where students are really taught the warning signs of depression, um, isolation, anxiety, and possible suicide. And then they take an assessment online, a questionnaire that identifies students who may be at risk. And so then professionals like myself, school counselors, social workers, we meet individually with those students and further evaluate their level of risk and communicate with the families some possible intervention strategies to support these students. Programs like this, I think this year, are going to be more important than ever so that we can identify these students that have had a more difficult time over the past two years. I absolutely agree with you. It it, it saddens me and breaks my heart that we have to have programs like signs of suicide, but but that is reality. Life is always tough, particularly tough during the pandemic in ways that perhaps we can't yet um, understand in terms of what the long-term impact of all that our kids have been through over the course of the last three years will be. Um, But I'm gladdened and grateful that we have professionals like you who are using the tools available and spending time with our students and our families and really helping um, students with um, coping mechanisms and getting the support and the resources that they need. I wonder, Molly, what, what recommendations would you have for teachers in the classroom or educators or even parents in terms of warning signs they may see that that a, a child needs help um, so that we know that we need to reach out to the support services around us? What, what, what should we be looking for? Um, well, I really feel like through ample opportunities for social connectedness in students, um, a lot of these kinds of symptoms that we're seeing like anxiety um, or just social isolation, withdrawn symptoms, I think that they will improve. Um, And that really is the recommendation that I continue to give parents and teachers um, is just provide those opportunities for peers to be engaged in learning together um, in this digital age. You know, I think that's going to be more important than ever. Um, And for teachers to really find ways to connect with their students and just in very practical ways, finding um, a way to talk about the students' interests, welcome them to class each day. Um, my favorite part at Croatan High School is during class changes, all of the teachers are out in the halls and they are speaking to students as the students pass. They ask them about their sports teams. They ask them how their weekend was. You know, did you study today? And they welcome them to class. That's a really simple, easy way to connect with students um, in just a practical way so that students can feel like they are a part of a group. 
And, you know, I'm reading a book right now um, by my friend Drew Hill, and the name is called Alongside. And he writes in this book about how important it is for students to be known and accepted. And just the imagery that the word alongside invokes, I just love that. You know, teachers and parents, we, we lead students, and then we also have to push them at times. But right now, I feel like it's really important for us to kind of walk alongside these students and see things from their perspective. And when, when in doubt, I think we need to ask. So if we are noticing changes in behavior or academics, just ask. Ask them why they may be behaving the way that they are. Or ask them what they think their struggle might be with reading or math. And I think we would be surprised how insightful they are into their emotional struggles or what's going on. And how often do we really take the time to ask a kid about their friendships or about their home environment? Um, I think we'll learn a lot about them. And that those are those early warning signs that we'll see. Um, the more we talk to students and ask about their, their day, um, we'll, we'll be able as adults, especially school staff who have training and development and, and mental health and all that, we'll be able to pick up on those signs and be able to provide some strategies for that kid. Molly, that's such a powerful image, this thought of alongside. I absolutely love that. And for our listeners, I'll post a link to the book Molly just referenced in our show notes. But as I think about the role of an educator, be that teacher, principal, superintendent, school psychologist, guidance counselor, bus driver, whatever that, that position is, the role really is to come alongside, come alongside students, come alongside parents, come alongside families, come alongside the community, often in, in leading the way forward. And you mentioned teachers in the hallway. That's, that's not necessarily a, a new practice in terms of teachers being there to monitor the hallways. But when teachers really take advantage of that opportunity to see that as more than just a duty that has to be served or some sort of task that has to be checked off, it's passing period, I need to be in the hallway, but see it as an opportunity to come alongside a student to smile and be seen smiling, even if we're behind a mask and they just see our, our eyes smiling or to ask a question like, how are you? That's such a powerful practice. And Certainly, I think one of the things that we do well as educators is when we learn the names of our students and even those who aren't in our classroom. Because when I say to you, how are you? That's certainly nice. But when I say to you, how are you, Molly? Or how are you, Steve? Or how are you, Tommy? Or how are you, Lisa? It just really seems to communicate a level of, of concern and, and, and family feel and coming alongside. And I just absolutely love that that thought of our role is to come alongside. I'm so excited that we have incredible educators and incredible folks like you, Molly, who come alongside not only our students and families, but also come alongside each of us in the educational field to help us all improve our practice. I wonder if you have a message that you'd like to share with, with the educators who are doing this really hard work across the country and around the world in this time, from your perspective, what message might you have for all of our colleagues? I would say never be afraid to ask for help. I think educators often feel the pressure that they need to be everything, 
even mental health providers right now for their students. And they just need to know that they are not expected to be mental health providers for their students. They have additional support staff that they should seek out. Um, If they notice changes in a student that they aren't understanding, but they know that they're concerned about it, talk to a school psychologist. We are happy to come in and do a classroom observation. We're happy to research that student's educational history, talk with their family, meet with the student. There are so many ways that we can support a teacher in the classroom. So, but we can't know about it if if they don't come and tell us or come and ask for our support. I love that. Absolutely. What a powerful message. Never be afraid to ask. To ask a question is kind of goes right along with who we are as educators or who we want to be in terms of lifelong learners. You know, when it comes to the content, we seem to have not a whole lot of problem asking questions, but when it comes to serving students or wondering about how to support the mental health needs of our students or colleagues, simply asking is so very powerful. And what a blessing it is that we have someone to ask. Molly Mays, I'm so proud to have you as a colleague, to have the opportunity to share you and your wisdom with all of our listeners. I want to say thank you to you and all those who serve in similar roles as school psychologists for being willing to do this work, for being willing to step forward, to come alongside all of us. Molly, thank you. You are so welcome. I consider it an honor and a privilege to get to do this job every day. Thank you, Molly. I hope you enjoyed our time today with Mrs. Mays. Her description of the need for ed leaders to come alongside students, families, and the community continues to resonate with me. Speaking of coming alongside, thank you for spending time with me today. And thank you for all that you do for every student, every teacher, and every staff member. You are making a difference. If no one else has told you, I want you to know that I believe in you. Good day. Thank you for listening to the Ed Leader Podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast and consider leaving a review with five stars on Apple Podcasts so that we may continue to grow the Ed Leader community. We hope that you have enjoyed your time with Dr. Jackson. Until next time.